It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. Jason, do you, when you're going through a tough time emotionally, are you someone that wants to talk to other people about it or would you rather try to work through it on your own? Hmm. Historically, I think that it's been the latter because growing up as an only child, I felt like as a kid, there were a lot of moments where I was scared and confused and kind of heartbroken, <laughs> to be honest, as a child. And what do you mean by that? Well, you know, I, I just had a lot of confusion growing up in terms of the reason my dad wasn't around and not being really clear on that and not really understanding why and being an only child feeling like I was just, I just felt like naturally. I was alone a lot playing and had the opportunity to learn to process my emotions on my own. So my challenge as an adult has been to be more willing to ask for support and more willing to learn the art of processing emotionally with people because my tendency is to, I don't know, my tendency is to like isolate a little bit, you know, my tendency is to isolate. So... (laughs) There's a monster under my chair. What's going on right now? <laughs> Who put this piglet under my chair? Hey, pig. Well, I think it's interesting because she's trying to get comfortable right now. <laughs> and so she's... <laughs> see, she's scratching the bed trying to... Evie, come on. We're experimenting with... Uh, Placing happy- Evie in different spots to see, <laughs> to see how this works. I feel like we need a dog cam. I know. We yeah, need to we get really we need do. to get a GoPro to, and put it down there and have just a doggy cam. To record cam. all the antics that we go through with Evie every time we want to record an episode. <laughs> so you said that you're learning the art of processing with other people. Mm-hmm. So you said historically, does that? differ from where you're at now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. Okay. So right now I feel like I have become more confident with being vulnerable and more confident with telling other people that I'm not okay or -hmm. telling other people that I'm struggling with depression or tell other people that I'm having a really hard time right now. Because I think for me, my resistance in the past to that was this kind of masculine conditioning in our society where like if you're going through something you just kind of suck it up and deal with it and just keep going you know you know there's this scene in the movie predator (laughs) where jesse ventura's character gets shot or cut or something i can't remember and he's on the helicopter and one of his fellow guys is like dude you're bleeding and he looks at me goes i ain't got time to bleed (laughs) (laughs) but that's it, it was a funny moment and he delivered the line so seamlessly but I think it is an indicative thing of how, and I say this, it's not exclusively to men. I think it's a lot of people growing up this way. It was kind of like, don't cry. Don't you cry. Suck it up. Like this thing of like, 
being discouraged to process our emotions or being discouraged to cry or like, you know, that whole like, oh, you're crying? I'll give you something to cry about. I'm not saying I experienced that. But People that, actually th say There's that? a reason that's a cliche. <laughs> that is a cliche? Yeah. Have you ever seen, I mean, have you ever seen certain, man, sometimes I'll go out in public. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I'll go out, you know, and I'll observe parents in like grocery stores or Costco or wherever. And there's been times where I've seen how parents talk to their kids and it's like, wow. You've heard parents say, I'll give you something to cry about? Yeah. Really? Yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. Huh. It is a thing. And, and I think going back to the original point, whether it was my illusion of adherence to like this masculine code of like, you know, we don't talk about our emotions and we just process stuff internally. I find that just being honest about what's going on with me and not making my current state of being say anything about me. Because I think that there was a hesitance in if I'm depressed or I'm sad or I'm in a challenging moment, right, or confused or don't know how to deal with something, that says something about the content of my character. That means that I've messed up or I fucked up. I'm a bad person because I'm going through this mm -hmm. and I have no reason to go through this and look at all the goodness and, and making myself feel guilty for feeling that way. So un I've had to undo a lot and I'm still am unraveling a lot of that wit where, you know, especially with the depression as an example of this, you know, feeling so much shame around it, like a deep sense of shame. Around what? You know, feeling depressed or feeling not okay or feeling sad or feeling, you know, who am I, a person with all of these blessings and advantages and, and you know, privilege and all these things that I have in the world, you know, as a person and like, who am I to feel this way? Like trying to talk myself out of processing necessary painful emotions, which I think again is this weird conditioning of like, we're not allowed to feel what we feel because like you've got all this stuff and and I, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent because you asked a simple but very deep question. I was really heartened over the last couple of years to see how many celebrities and pro athletes were coming out talking about their struggle with mental illness and depression. And I remember one athlete in particular, he's a basketball player. He right now plays for the San Antonio Spurs. His name's DeMar DeRozan. And he was the second player in the NBA to come out talking about depression and mental illness. Kevin Love, who plays for Cleveland Cavaliers, was the first one. Wrote an incredible, I'd like to link it in the show notes actually incredible article on, I think it was the Players' Tribune about, yeah, how, how he's been struggling with mental illness and panic attacks and the masculinity issue. And, you know, you're rich. You're not allowed to be sad if you're rich. And DeMar DeRozan talked about that. He was tweeting about his depression and said, like, you know, some people have exclaimed to him, acquaintances or whatever, like, bro, like, what do you got to be sad about? Like, you have all the money in the world. He's like, it's not about that. <laughs> like, just because I make whatever $20 million a year as a pro athlete does not mean that I'm not allowed to be sad or have depression mm -hmm. or mental illness. Like, and I think that's another bizarre aspect of our culture is that people think just because you're rich, like that's gonna, you're going to be happy forever and you're never going to be sad again and you're never going to be depressed or you're not allowed to be depressed because you've got all this money. Like the subtext of the comment he wrote on Twitter was so interesting because I interpreted it as yeah. Oh, you're rich. Like, what do you got problems? You ain't got problems. That kind of thing. And yeah. it's like, that is, and, and I think it's that's- like trivializing. Well, and it's also crazy because I think the fetishization of materialism and this idea that if we get rich, whatever that means to us, is magically going to wipe away our problems. Like that's, and I still think there's an aspect of that in our culture though. Oh, for sure of, there is. Oh, when I'm rich, everything will be great. It's like, yeah, you'll have more freedom for sure. But to think that it takes away sadness, depression, heartbreak. 
It's like, like all the money in the world isn't going to delete well, those things from your life. I think people associate money with comfort. Yes. But insecurity. It might be that you feel physically comfortable because you can buy whatever you want. Right. But emotional comfort is a whole nother thing. Yes. And same with emotional security versus physical security. Yes. Right. You might be able to buy a house and have all the money to pay the rent and, and buy food and get your basic needs met. But emotionally, you could still feel incredibly insecure. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was thinking about this today because. I was reflecting on going through emotional struggles and my own processes with that and how I, I try to work through it and the obstacles and the, just all the insights that I get through noticing how, how I handle any sort of emotional suffering. And for me, I actually try not to talk to people about it because I have this feeling that people aren't going to understand or they're going to say something to me that isn't helpful or that might be like more hurtful. Hmm. For example, yeah, what do you mean? I got, I'll go through in my head when I'm having a tough time, I'll think about like, okay, who could I talk to about this? And most of the time it's you. I mean, usually you're the one that I, I can count on most of the time. <laughs> and I think that's because A, we've just been so close for so many years. So you're just kind of the first person on my mind. And B, because you and I have, are constantly talking about these subject matters. And so I can kind of trust that you're going to give me advice that you've thought long and hard about. And I'll think about some of my other friends and have this fear that they'll give me advice that doesn't resonate with me. Hmm. So why is that perplexing? Well, when you say advice that doesn't resonate, is it that you feel they don't have an understanding of you or the complex issue you're facing or yes. have they not lived enough life experience that you don't feel confident in their answer or what is mm, what does that mean to you? I wouldn't say that because that feels a little judgmental. Okay. I think it's more that I'm afraid that they don't understand me and what I'm going through uh -huh. and that maybe their perspectives on life are different than mine. So while I may really enjoy their company as a friend on maybe a little bit more of a surface level when it comes to like really deep things, I fear that they look at life differently than me. And so I'm afraid that they won't be able to help me. I see. That's basically what it is. So then you And that can actually feel very lonely. And I, recently I was thinking about that and feeling like, wow, I really love these. It would go through my head like, oh, maybe could I talk to so-and-so about that? You know, and I would list out like all my close friends and feel like none of them would be people that I really wanted to turn to for this particular issue. And it wasn't like, oh, maybe I need to get new friends. It was more that just kind of being fascinated with that because I love each of these people and these people are very valuable in my life. It's just that maybe I don't feel emotionally safe with them or maybe it's just more about me and finding emotional safety and that vulnerability, right? Because the times where I'm really struggling, I definitely feel incredibly vulnerable. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Whether you're crying and you just feel really beside yourself or you're just like feeling like you're going through a funk or suffering or whatever emotions are coming up for you, it's incredibly vulnerable, especially when you feel like you can't control it or you can't explain it or you can't find a reason for it. And for me, I process that as, as getting very overwhelmed and lost and I feel very alone and it's just kind of incredibly intense. 
And I was reflecting on how it's rare for me to feel like I can open up to somebody about it because generally, if I'm going to talk to somebody about something, I'm looking for some sort of a solution or I'm looking to feel better, right? And or I should say. Of course. Meaning that I'm looking to be comforted. And I guess for me, because I've been studying wellness and spirituality and all these consciousness topics for so long, I feel like I have so many tools Mm -hmm. that it's maybe it's like an ego perspective of like, well, if I can't work my way through this, like, how's my friend? It's almost like I need somebody that's wiser than me in a very particular way. And I suppose sometimes I feel like, (laughs) I don't know if this sounds so egotistic, but I, because I trust my own wisdom so much, I, I think like, well, if I can't figure this out, then who can? Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> who are you going to call? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's funny because I don't think I've said that out loud before. But it's amazing. You know, one person I think of is Jason has this great mentor. Can I say his name? Of course. So Michael in Jason's life is this wise older man in your life. He's and a father I, figure. I don't really, that I can think of. I don't know if I have that type of person in my life, but I guess that's who I would want. I'd want like someone that was how many years older than you? Like 20, 30, 30 years yeah, older 30 than, years. than me. Like someone that's just lived a long time and has wisdom, but also is really interested in the same topics. It's yes. almost as if, I wish I could just find my future self (laughs) and then also simultaneously be my current age and have that conversation. And as funny as it sounds, in a way we can do that, right? Because we could kind of like visualize that type of conversation. And I do believe that we have most of the answers that we're looking for within us. Agreed. Agreed Right. So that's part of what I mean, all jokes aside, is I know that I already have the wisdom to work through whatever and we don't really need anyone. So look, seeking for something external outside of ourselves to solve our problems, they're really just kind of reflecting things back. And maybe I'm just looking for somebody else who will reflect what I need to be reflected. But it's also because the reason that we go to therapy, for instance, is that a lot of the times we need to talk to somebody and they're going to prompt us in a certain way that we don't know how to prompt. Or they're going to give us perspectives that we just can't see because we're in our own little bubble and Mm -hmm. we need an outside perspective, somebody to maybe play the devil's advocate or maybe to point out something that we haven't even noticed. I mean, that's why I think self-help is is such a huge thing for us as humans, is that we want somebody that can help us with ourselves in addition to us helping ourselves. And I think this also brought up this idea of how one thing I've observed a lot about myself recently is I have this really strong desire to improve, make things better, to solve problems. And it's like this drive to constantly be fixing, fixing, fixing. And so when I feel like I'm in a tough position emotionally, it's really hard for me because I immediately I'm looking for solutions to it. Like, okay, well, why am I feeling this way? And maybe if I get to the root of it, then I can get clear. Like there's this drive to like understand why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling Mm -hmm. in hopes that if I get to the bottom of it, then I'll be able to resolve it. And then the other day I was just wondering like, what if I will never actually get to the root of it? And 
do I even need to improve it to resolve it? Great questions. This is like really been coming up so much for me in the past few weeks or months is in those moments where I feel very helpless and vulnerable and all these emotions that I was describing, there's just this like strong desire to like fix it, fix it, make it go away. I don't want to feel this anymore. I want to get out of the discomfort. I want to, it's like having a wound and, and wanting to stitch it up and make it feel better and all of that. But as I've talked about in at least one other episode that we've done recently, another part of me thinks like, why do I need, do I need to resolve it? Is, can I possibly resolve this? Is there an answer to this? Or what if it is just a matter of waiting it out Mm -hmm. and just being patient Mm -hmm. and surrendering and just being with the emotion? And I, that got me thinking, in addition to me doing that for myself, I also started to think about how I do that for other people and how I'm always trying to help other people solve problems. Yeah. You're great at it, by the way. Thank you. I, you I, are. It's something that I'm very passionate about, but then taking a step back and thinking, hmm, yeah, I feel confident in my abilities to resolve problems and, and to help people improve things. And, and Jason and I have this, this similar desire and drive to reduce suffering. And I've even heard you say, Jason, that you want to remove suffering. And hmm. then I start unnecessary thinking, suffering. Yeah, there's a, there's a caveat there. But then again, there. like, what if suffering is always necessary? What if it's hmm. important? I mean, why would it exist if it wasn't important or necessary? Well, here's another question, and I was thinking about this today. The idea of suffering is it a human created concept? Because here's the thing: in the natural world, right? You have storms, you have predators, you have carnivores. You have animals eating each other. You have the environment doing what it does. But the natural world is devoid of a framework of ethics. That's something Mm -hmm. humans have created. Humans created philosophy. Humans created ethics. Mm -hmm. So if suffering is a human idea, is suffering then also a human creation? In the Mm -hmm. sense of, think about the deepest suffering that's on the planet right now. We have I mean, I'll put the environmental catastrophe aside for a second because that's a much more complex issue. Mm -hmm. But if you think about hunger, the fact that people are starving to death each day, the income inequality, healthcare, you know, the way that we take care of the elderly, the way we take care of inmates, like there's so many humanistic issues aside from the environment that, and I don't mean this to be overly simplistic or pedantic, and I don't want to get political. But these are things that if humans decided to treat one another differently and have a different perspective, I firmly believe that there is enough food for everyone on the planet. I believe it's a distribution issue, not an abundance issue with money and not enough. There's plenty of money on the planet. Again, it's a distribution issue, not a lack of abundance. I think that the quantum shift on this planet that would change a ton of our issues is people shifting into generosity, people shifting into equality, people realizing that there is enough to go around. And I'm not trying to say I'm a socialist, so I'm not (laughs) going there. But to your point, Whitney, if we're talking about suffering, I truly think a lot of the human-created suffering, and maybe all of suffering is human-created, right? Because it's our idea, could be solved by a shift in our behavior, our attitudes, and how we treat one another. Truly. I believe that in my heart. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that there wouldn't be suffering. You know, we would still lose loved ones. There would still be accidents. There would still be things we would label as tragedies. But averting the 
continued perpetuation of suffering that we are all contributing to is something we can stop if we chose to, collectively. Mm-hmm. A lot of the suffering in this world, I truly deeply believe, is systematic suffering. That if we change our attitudes and our beliefs and our ways of being or shift into a totally different system of how we distribute food, how we distribute wealth, how we treat one another, our political system, I mean, so much suffering could be avoided, I think. But to your point, it is what it is, and we are where we are right now, and we are in the system we're in, and we are in our current state of culture. So to your point of, is suffering necessary? I think that we must assign meaning to things in life, that life is inherently meaningless. I believe Joseph Campbell's attitude when he said, life is meaningless, we bring the meaning to it. We assign the meaning. Mm-hmm. And I think suffering without meaning is very devastating. Suffering without meaning if we allow it to, hardens us, makes us nihilistic, makes us hateful toward the world. So if suffering is necessary, what I think is more necessary is to find our meaning in the suffering. Because meaningless suffering to me feels useless. Mm -hmm. Suffering with meaning, that we can see some value in it or see some purpose in it that we create for ourselves, that's a different experience of suffering. And I don't mean to review our lives here on camera and microphone, but if I think about the moments that have been, I mean, just devastating moments in my life, you know, I can see the meaning in them. Mm-hmm. Like what? What are some of the God. meanings that you've found? I mean, I think about the most recent uh, devastating moment, which was probably my last big breakup. I think the meaning in that was to pay attention, slow down, and trust your intuition on things. You know, slow down, pay attention, trust your intuition. Like the meaning in it is like, and on the other side of it, the bolstering of feeling like, you know, you are so sad and so heartbroken, so depressed, you want to die. And then healing from it and being on the other side of it and going, whoa, that is on a soul level, that's very bolstering. It's very emboldening, I think, for the spirit to go through a trial and go through deep suffering and emerge from it where you've healed your heart and you're trusting again and you're putting yourself out there again. Like there's deep value in that. Mm -hmm. There's deep value. But if I didn't assign that meaning to it, to me, it would feel like needless suffering. Like what was the point of this? And Mm. to your point, maybe we don't know in the moment, but I believe it's important for us to, for our own cosmology, our own life story and our own sense of mental well-being to assign meaning to very painful moments of suffering in our lives. I think it's critical for us to do that, hmm. to find it in some way. Yeah, because I mean, many types of suffering come about without us having much of a choice. For sure. Unprovoked and, suffering, if yeah, you will. Right. I mean, that's just part of life is that things that are painful happen right. and we often do not have control over them. And I think as a species, we have a desire to control things or, or predict things and to avoid any sort of pain, right? We are wired to avoid pain. <laughs> for sure. And so when something happens that we interpret as painful for whatever reason, whether it's just biological or cultural, I think that there is also that drive to have meaning because we don't want to go through something painful without there being a point to it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. But I, I think that's also the same reason that when you say we live in a meaningless world, that's scary to people because people, we, as human beings, we're just like really desperate to find some sort of meaning and purpose. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. I, I have mixed feelings about that because 
what if suffering just is? I mean, you were talking about how other species don't have ethics and all of that. It's like, what? how do they experience pain, right? It's a great question. You know, and do they experience suffering or is it just, is it kind of more black and white where this is just painful, this is uncomfortable, but do they consider it suffering? And it's also interesting, you know, as human beings, when we have companion animals and we, we want to put them down, we make the choice at the end of our lives because we want mm. to reduce their suffering. But, mm. but also a lot of people will admit that most of the time they're either keeping an animal alive or putting an animal down for themselves. Yes. Right? Is that it's too painful to watch an animal look like it's in pain. And we assign this idea that that animal is suffering. But are they actually suffering or I don't know. I mean, we don't know. The thing we don't know. The, they can't tell us. <laughs> they can't tell us and we can't fully understand them because our brains are just different than them. I mean, they definitely feel pain, yes. but is pain necessarily the same as suffering or is it all about your mentality and your outlook on it? I don't know. Yeah, right? and, and, and I think as, as yeah. compassionate human beings, like especially from the vegan perspective, it is very much about reducing suffering. We don't want to see animals suffer, human beings suffer, the planet suffer. And so we make choices that we feel like are going to lessen the suffering that's happening. Yes. I also think that suffering in terms of finding value in it, we can find clarity in suffering so much, right? 100%. And it's, it's almost yes. as if, if we were to escape it, which as we've talked about in some other episodes, there's a big tendency as human beings to try to escape it. We take medications to avoid suffering. We will drink alcohol or take drugs or engage in sex or look for any form of pleasure, immense pleasure to escape suffering, right? And if you think about it, when you do those things, you don't actually get the reward of clarity that happens with suffering. No, you don't. You don't. That's so important, Whitney. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just that place of avoidance. Yeah. Because right? like, if you think about the... So you sparked something so interesting. When we think about the value in suffering and conversely, how much people want to avoid pain and the processing and acknowledgement of it or being in a dark night of the soul, you know, or a moment you're in such pain and you're in such suffering that it, it almost cracks you open into a level of awareness that you previously didn't have. Mm -hmm. And we call it the dark night of the soul, but that's really what it feels like. It feels like a cracking open of the, these layers that we've built up for ourselves. But to your point about, you know, this kind of conditioning of, I feel like there are levels of cultural conditioning of when we break up with something, we're encouraged to like, get back out there and start dating right mm -hmm, away. Mm -hmm. Or if we get fired from a job, we go right to the bar and start drinking. Like, do you have, have one on me, bro. Like, right. have a whiskey. So yeah. it's like when something bad happens, I feel like there's this automatic response from very well-intentioned people that love us that it's like, oh, just, yeah, screw him and move on, like, right away. Or let's go out for a drink. Let's get wasted. Let's get blitzed. But we're avoiding the disappointment, the heartbreak, the sadness, our expectations not being met, our projections not being fulfilled. You know, we're, we're missing the lessons if we, as you said, Whitney, you know, choose to kind of numb out in those ways. Mm -hmm. And so I believe, right, that pain and suffering can be teachers if we allow them to be, right? I think mm -hmm. intrinsically wound up in really, pa really painful moments, you know, not like, oh, I got a paper cut. We're not talking <laughs> about that. Although it might be a, a lesson for you to be more present with the, the bills you're mailing. Who knows? Do but, people still bill mail bills? Yeah, they do. Yeah, some people do. They do. <laughs> some people still balance their checkbooks. It's all good. Wow. But my point is pain is a teacher. Suffering is a teacher. If we allow those moments, it's almost like 
um, within the poison is the cure. Mm, mm -hmm. Within the poison is the cure. And truly, I think if we train ourselves to not run from the suffering, we train our, and I don't mean unnecessary, like this isn't about like, I'm going to stay in this and like be miserable and, you know, but to understand that pain will find us. We're not going to have a pain-free life. We're not going to have a life that's free of suffering. I think we can drastically reduce pain and suffering on this planet. And as I mentioned, I believe so much of it is, <laughs> you know, something we've created that we could stop, okay? It doesn't mean that life isn't going to challenge us in other ways. And to your point, losing people, disease, sickness, accidents, I mean, the emotional trauma we go through in relationships, all that stuff is kind of like pretty much guaranteed in some form or another being here in this human experience. But so much suffering, I think, can just be drastically reduced. Like life is challenging enough as it is, right? Well, and so many back, things though, can be just shifted, I think. Yeah. It's not to well, avoid it. I think it. you're saying two separate things, though. So I just am. to go. <laughs> I am. Thank you. <laughs> so to go back to the point of what you do when you are suffering is you, the part of my point is that I think that we have this de desire to remove or reduce suffering, but we don't always have control over it. Right. And so looking at it and thinking, okay, how can I find some sort of positive result from this if I'm going to go through this whether I want to or not? Because sure, there are things that we have control over. We can make different choices, right? But there are so many times in our lives where we feel our own version of suffering, whatever yeah. that means for us in this, that specific time in our life. And one thing that comes up for me too, when you were talking about how we kind of look for all these different ways to numb ourselves whenever we're suffering, I think in a way it kind of prolongs it, right? It's just like a medical perspective. You can either put a bandage over something or you can find the root cause so that it won't continue to happen, right? And that's, that's it's also, in my opinion, a big Western point of view is, oh, you know, don't worry about it. We'll just find a temporary solution. Like that's just such a, and something that Jason and I are really passionate about is how about instead of finding something temporary, we find something that can help you in the long term. Because would you rather go through something that's really painful and challenging for a few days, a few weeks, a few months, maybe a few years, or would you rather continue a form of suffering for your entire life and just keep it as a minimal, <laughs> a minimal feeling of suffering because you're trying to numb yourself constantly, right? right? And I think what happens when we decide not to numb ourselves and we lean more into suffering is we also become more resilient. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Agreed. In those periods of time where you just feel so devastated and you're going through these low periods and there doesn't seem to be an answer, you don't know how to resolve it, you don't feel like it's going to get better, you might ha see a light at the end of the tunnel, but you don't know when you're going to get there. That's really teaching you so much resilience. And actually, that ends up helping you later on because the same situation can come up in a different form. But you might have already gone through it, so you have more confidence to go through it again. I actually think about it's similar to being in yoga class, for example. Okay. I'm saying this because yoga is a huge part of my life or any type of fitness. One of the biggest goals of mine is to work on my endurance because over the years, I've watched myself get stronger mentally through with physical fitness. And... It's really incredible because there are, are times in class where we're doing something, a move, and it feels so physically painful that all I want to do is stop. I want to take a break. I want to get out of the posture, the move, whatever we're doing. 
I don't feel like I can do it. That's still, I mean, that, that happens to me in every single class. But what I've noticed is if I can just continue doing a, a little bit longer before I want to give up, that actually builds upon my resilience, my endurance, right? Yeah. And over time, I become stronger and stronger to the point where I, maybe a year or two later, I can do that exact same move for a long time because I've built up that endurance for it. Right. So I think the same thing is, is true with mental pain is that we need to learn coping mechanisms. We need to learn how to work through them or sit with them, be patient with them. You know, these things that we learn through practices like meditation, for example, are so incredibly powerful because they teach us how to just sit with something as opposed to trying to escape it, to run away from it. Mm -hmm. And when we choose to numb ourselves or to run away in whatever form that means for us, then we're just prolonging the fact that we're going to have to face it again. And then we have another choice the next time we suffer. Do we continue to run away and numb or do we face it head on and go through it and build upon our resilience? Mm. That's a fantastic point. I think that okay, we're here, we're going to suffer, there's going to be pain, like there's just no getting around it. And so if that is the case, and we know that we're going to face it, then to your point, can we consciously build resilience and build our willpower and build our emotional fortitude to be able to handle those things? Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important. This is also true in terms of supporting other people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. In terms of our communication with other people that are suffering is a lot of the times I find myself, like I said earlier, looking for ways to reduce somebody's suffering, mm -hmm. right? And I think that I really want to soothe people. But sometimes somebody just wants you there to listen. Yeah. They, they don't want to take it away. They don't want you to take it away. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's an important distinction. And maybe, as I was saying at the very beginning, maybe your perspective on their pain is different from their perspective. And they don't want to hear your perspective because it doesn't feel helpful to them at that time, right? You know how most of us have experienced where we get really frustrated because we want somebody to think the way that we think or do the things that we wait. And then we will be like, well, you know, if only they would do this and they wouldn't be in that situation. You know, when we think that we know what's good for them. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's man. just like an ongoing thing that that's behind so many forms of gossip as people judging one another for each other's choices and thinking that that your way of doing things or thinking about things is better than theirs or better for them. Well, I know what's good for you. Going back to parenting, as you were saying earlier, but the truth is we don't necessarily know what's good for somebody else. And there's so yeah. much shame that can be tied into all of this and our ways of communicating with each other. I'm actually feeling a, a strong desire to just learn how to help people or just be there for people, right? Maybe I need to even just take away the word help. But it's really just about being there because some problems are more complicated. We don't know somebody's entire history and experiences, and they might not even know how to express them to us. So how could we really understand what's going on in their heads as we've talked about? Our solutions might work for us, but they might not work for them or they may not work in this specific situation. So it's almost like we can be best supportive for people when we can just respect whatever they're going through and hold space for them. Even if we might disagree with the way they're handling it, we might think that, you know, whatever they're going towards is not what we want for them. But I think that that's one of the best ways that we can love somebody, right? Mm, and I agree. And just being patient for them and 
celebrating the moments that they're successful and listening on the times where they feel unsuccessful or they feel like they're suffering. Yeah. What that brings up for me is in most, most of the time, if I'm going through something challenging, you know, and I've reached out to you or other people that I really deeply trust, and there's not many, you know, there's probably a handful, literally, of people. The great majority of the time, Wit, I'm not looking for an answer or a solution or like, hey, give me a list of what I should do. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I just want to feel not alone. I don't want to feel isolated in my pain. And I just want someone to receive what my heart wants to express. Like, It's like the presence, their presence is a present. That's Mm -hmm. enough. Just having somebody be with me or even on the other end of the line or FaceTime or whatever it is, just being received and having somebody be present to witness my struggle is enough. That's comforting enough most of the time for me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't solve it. Again, it doesn't take it away. But there's something about you've given me the love in the form of bearing witness to my suffering and hearing it and just being a container for it. And that in itself is all that I need. Oh, for sure. You know, Especially when you don't feel like that person's going to judge you or have a harsh response. I mean, going back to what I was saying mm. at the beginning, you know, a lot of the times that I don't talk to people, it's because I'm afraid that they're going to judge me for what I'm going through. Interesting. They're going right? to harsh you. Oh. It's like, I mean, some of the deeper pains that I'm experiencing, maybe I'm feeling shame around them. Right. And so then I just assume that other people are going to put shame onto me or judge me or whatever. And I think that It's a big step in vulnerability when you can trust yourself and the person that you're talking to to take in the information without judging you, analyzing it, trying to solve it, right? And I think that we could talk about a way to reduce suffering if we could practice that more with one another and being able to just listen without interpreting or analyzing, solving, all of that. It could actually be really powerful. I think that's one of the reasons that people go to therapists, because they trust that a a therapist is going to listen to their problems without judging them. 100%. And just listen. 100%. And maybe give them some options. But I I think the great majority of the benefit in therapy is just having somebody that is professional and committed to not judging you or shaming you, right? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas like we could do that as friends and family members. We just have to really practice doing it. Oh, absolutely. And be mindful of it. Well, I, I think the impartiality of a therapist-client relationship is the distinction there, right? Of no judgment. They're not harshing you. They're not, if they're a good therapist, telling you what to do. Whereas I find that even the most well-intentioned people that I deeply love in my life, you know, people that are, you know, on that handful of people I deeply trust. Sometimes they will, I feel, give their opinion or try to tell me what they think I ought to do. And I have a trigger massively still around when people chime in about whatever it is, you know, oh, well, you know, you, I think you should do this with your career or don't do that or that, that post didn't feel right or maybe change that copy or, or, you know, you shouldn't buy a motorcycle or she's not, we don't think she's a good girl for you or whatever. Like I could give a million different examples, but at the core, I, really only want people's opinion when I ask for it. (laughs) And it even people I love, it bothers me when they give an unsolicited opinion on something. Because the reality is, even if you don't feel the thing is right, ultimately it's my experience and Mm -hmm. it's my choice. And so if you have something you feel uncertain about or like, I don't know if you, there's probably piranhas in that pool or there might be a crocodile. Well, then, you know, it'll be my leg to lose. (laughs) It'll be my leg to lose. 
proverbially speaking here, everyone, proverbially speaking. But, but then it, there's it, always those moments of saying to your friends, well, why didn't you tell me? You know, we had a friend who was dating someone yeah. who was not our favorite person. And, wasn't. and there was a moment afterwards where she thought, well, why didn't you tell me that he you perceived him this way? <laughs> but as friends, we are trying to be respectful. And have her have so, her choice. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's That's where I think it's, it's a, a fine line. And I guess one of the things mm-hmm. that we can do in those moments is ask if that person wants our advice or our opinion. Thank right? you, if they don't request it, but we really want to give it, then we should just ask them. Are you open to feedback right now? Are you open to my opinion on this? Yeah. Yeah. That I think Whitney, that qualifying question makes all the difference Mm -hmm. for me. It does. If someone would be like, Hey, I've got some feelings about this. Are you, are you open to hearing them? Yeah, absolutely. Or I get to say no. And that's okay too. Mm -hmm. But I think the issue I have is when people just launch right into the advice without qualifying it. And I'm like, didn't ask. (laughs) I love you. And I didn't ask. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an, you know, this is all part of, of learning how to communicate with one another yeah. and then learning how to, how to work through our reactions to other people and how to process our own pain. And, you know, I think all of this ties into this desire to find some sort of a solution. And sometimes they're just, the solution needs to reveal itself, or maybe there isn't really the type of solution that we're looking for. Right. Right? right. I mean, it could just be part of life is going through tough periods of time that don't make any sense and don't seem to have a resolution. And and it just gives us an opportunity to get more clear, to build that resilience, to become more patient and to really start to examine ourselves in a new way, learn something new about ourselves without being attached to a specific outcome. I love that. Yeah. So if we can embrace pain as a teacher, confusion as a teacher, lack of clarity as a teacher, suffering as a teacher, and... But again, maybe it's not even a teacher. Because like, a teacher, the whole point of teaching is to learn something, right? True. <laughs> or What if it's really just experiencing life with... Because if an outcome, like learning something is still an outcome. True. Good point. So even point. when we try to position something, well, what can this teach me? I don't know. Does everything in our lives teach us something? I guess you could say yes. Again, if you look for the meaning, I think it depends. To me, it goes back to the assignment of meaning. And I think the overall takeaway, what I was trying to get to, and to your point, Whitney, there there may not be an immediate lesson in everything. It may not be visible. We, We may never assign meaning to certain things, right? Like, why did that happen? Who the hell knows? But I think it's important that we stop collectively numbing shoving it down, ignoring it, acting like it's not there. And acting like there's a certain level of spiritual bypassing that happens of like, high vibes only, high vibe tribe, it's all good, only want to be high vibes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, hmm, the problem I have with this attitude is that there's a distinct lack of acknowledgement of the pain and the suffering and the shadow and the darkness that will visit us in this life. And I'm not trying to be macabre or nihilistic or dark right now, but it's for real. And the issue that I have with a lot of these pseudo-spiritual practices is like, you manifested it, you manifested the suffering, you manifested like enough, enough of the pseudo-spirituality. It's like part of life is pain, part of life is suffering, and it's going to be inevitable. It's going to be inevitable. And I think we are less prepared and less resilient, to your point, if we're always high vibes, high vibes, high vibes only. Oh no, I'm only manifesting the goodness, yo. Well, like, I think what you're it, saying it's, is it's, it ties into this idea that we can control everything, right? Yeah, because and, yes. the belief... There's a large part of me that believes in manifestation, 
And I don't know, maybe is everything manifested? Perhaps. But I think manifestation generally comes down to this idea that we have control. Yeah. Like the only reason you're suffering is because you manifest it, meaning like if you didn't do something this way, then you could have controlled whether or not you experienced the suffering. Thank you. Yes. Right. I honestly do not know how true that is. Right. Is that could be true sometimes. That could be true none of the times. That could be true some, you know, like who knows? Yeah, we don't know. My point with that was I think if people are saying like I manifested this pain or I manifested, you know, whatever, getting stabbed in the butt, whatever, people can use it as a way to self-flagellate and beat themselves up. Like, what did I do to get like stabbed mm-hmm. on the street? What did I do to get mugged? Well, how did I manifest this? And I have observed mm-hmm. in people that that is a closed loop and it leads nowhere but into more suffering Mm -hmm. because oftentimes we use it as an excuse to beat ourselves up and like, but I don't understand. I was vibing so high and like- (laughs) That's like another form of shame though. It's feeling shame that you brought this on yourself. Exactly. And I think it's this perpetual question that has been with humanity for so long of why do bad, quote, bad things happen to, quote, good people? Mm -hmm. Why do bad things happen to good people? I think like- bad things happen to everyone. Because bad things happen to every child. Like- Bruce Lee has this amazing quote, and I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but the core of it is amazing, where he was talking about parents and their children. He said, don't wish for your children to live a life without struggle. Don't wish for your children to live a life without pain. Wish for them to build the resilience to be able to endure the challenges that find them. Yes. There you go. Okay. That summarizes so much. Like that was like, oh my God, absolutely. Yeah. Like, can we teach each other? Can we teach our, not only our children, but each other how to build compassion and resilience and forgiveness on this planet? Mm-hmm. Because to me, we're not running from the pain and the suffering and the confusion and why are we even here? The questions will always be there. But to hold ourselves in a space of it's okay and to have that deep, deep compassion for one another, that's medicine. I think it's a deep medicine this planet needs massively right now. Massively. Sure. So with that said, my dear friends... Um, We hope that this episode was medicinal for you as it was for us. It was a great convo here. And uh, if you want to get more of the uh, links and show notes, you can check it out at wellevator.com. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. You can also leave us a message at hello at wellevator.com. We check that inbox often. Always love hearing from you. And you can follow us for more great, inspiring, deep content on all of our social platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Whitney, this was really, really good. This was a juicy one. Yeah, I'm glad you thought so. Yeah, We'd also love a review on the podcast so that you can help us reach other people. So if you enjoyed this episode and other episodes that we've done, please leave us a review. Give us as many stars as you feel we deserve on the rating platform, and that will really help us get introduced to more people that could uh, that might enjoy this as much as you do yeah we love you and we will see you soon with another episode thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today for show notes and more high performance resources to help you thrive go to wellevator.com that's w-e-l-l-e-v-a-t-r.com <laughs>